on Jazz FM. This is the Business Breakfast with Oanda. Online trading, currency data, money transfers. Craig Earlham, Senior Market Analyst at Oanda. Very good morning to you. Let's kick off with those local lockdowns in the northeast of England. Unbelievably, we're being told that it'll still be weeks until testing capacity for coronavirus is where it needs to be. So with that in mind, do you think the government has been irresponsible in opening businesses and reopening the economy so early, considering where we are now? It's obviously an extremely difficult situation and I think many countries are trying to reopen the economy and get businesses going again and uh, trying to support uh, various industries which have been hammered by the lockdown. Some industries haven't done too badly. Other industries are, are finding it extremely difficult to recover. Uh, so it, it's, it's obviously an extremely difficult situation because you almost uh, don't want to over uh, react uh, in this situation at the cost of uh, at the cost of businesses and and ultimately uh, employment. But it's obviously then you've obviously offset that with the fact that you are seeing rising number of cases at a time when you are encouraging people to return to the office, for example. So the message all of a sudden seems extremely mixed. You're encouraging people to try and resume what seems an ordinary life, even maybe go on holidays, but then you're imp- imposing restrictions on when they return. Uh, so, like I say, it is. A extremely difficult but i don't think it's necessarily too different from what we're seeing uh in the rest of the world uh the difficulty obviously with all of this is that what you're effectively doing at the end of all at the end of it is sending very mixed messages to people to the point that a people i don't think now fully understand what the rules and restrictions actually are anymore um which is going to be an extremely difficult situation not everyone reads the fine print in these situations um but b i think people are less inclined to actually follow the rules uh, uh, as much as they were perhaps earlier on in the lockdown because they seem to be changing so often and because the messages are so mixed like with the return to work but there are these sure, other sure. restrictions so um, it's, it's obviously very difficult. So London, I th- would say, is going to be the real test, considering the, uh, well, the the economic value that it generates. We're seeing cases beginning to rise in parts of the capital. Is it possible to go back to a lockdown in London, or is it possible to even, even begin to lock down individual areas? It is possible. It's just extremely difficult because... The, we've seen what the economic cost has been for the UK, and it's been far more severe than it has been for many other countries uh, around the world. So to go back into a lockdown situation is going to be extremely punishing, and and, and like I say, um, it's going to come. It comes at a great cost, uh, and therefore I think the government's going to be extremely reluctant to to do that. And I think the chances are we are likely to see more restrictions imposed on a more regional basis than than what we saw perhaps back in March so whether that is uh, whether that is going to be certain areas that have tighter lockdowns like we saw with Leicester and, uh, and Birmingham now and other areas um, or, or, or whether it is going to be more restrictions in terms of how people can mingle um, like which we've seen imposed with the six people with no more than six people again I think it's going to be an extremely frustrating period I think is is is, is the reality of the situation but again I'm not necessarily envious of the government because being asked to impose these restrictions where you're effectively choosing between long-term employment um, and people's safety um, is is in very unenviable position.
Right, let's look to the US where the Fed has said that it will keep targeting 2% inflation, keep targeting employment. Um, and yet, we know this is not going to happen for, for years to come. It's been an impossible task for them hitting 2% inflation in the past. It feels as though these are comments from another age. Yeah, and, and to be honest, it, it's quite a shift, it seems, in terms of what their targets are. I mean, it seems to me now that unless we start to see inflation appear in the in the US that's not linked almost to this pandemic, which isn't likely, let's, let, let, let's face it, costs are rising for many firms, um, and that's got to effectively be made up somewhere. We are seeing deglobalization in many instances around the world, including uh, with the US, so that's going to lead to inflation as well. But it seems that the, the, that the Fed has now set out its stall. It, it changed its framework at Jackson Hole last month, so it's targeting average inflation at 2% rather than just inflation mm. at 2%. That doesn't sound like a big change, but it, it could potentially, depending on how it's implemented, be a huge change, because it, if it means you, you're, you're willing to accept inflation at 2.5% for, for 12 months, then that's a massive change when you've struggled to even hit inflation at 2% for such a long period of time. Previously, over the course of the last four or five years, it was raising interest rates on the expectation that inflation was just going to hit 2%. And the actual reality was that they never actually achieved that 2% target because interest rates were rising ahead of time. So if they're, if they're willing to accept inflation higher and an and inflation rate that they've been unable to hit, that could theoretically mean that we, we're going to see inflation uh, interest rates at rock bottom for many, many years to come. Which also brings the uh, the impact of um, how the Fed will continue working with the executive. Because obviously Mr. Trump, in his um, more outspoken capacity, has uh, has railed against um, inflation. He doesn't obviously want prices rising, etc. I suppose the, the question they've got going forward, because they have thrown to the White House and to Congress in terms of um, actually targeting inflation with uh, with tax policy rather than with uh, the ammunition that the, um, the uh, of monetary policy i suppose you know really it's the same question that um, central banks have all over the world is have they run out of things that they can really do well i think many people are now asking the question as to whether central banks can really generate inflation in the way they they, they could in the past and i think if you look at now the evidence of the past decade it, it, there is a strong argument that central banks just aren't really the holders of the inflation outlook the UK, uh, barring brief periods, has, has failed to hit 2%. The Bank of Japan hasn't hit its inflation target for decades. The federal, the, the US Federal Reserve hasn't really hit its inflation target at all in the last decade, barring, again, a few brief periods. The ECB is far below its, its target. So, yeah, I, I do think the emphasis is almost now more uh, on government policy uh, that to, to try and generate those levels of inflation. But obviously, that kind of brings it all back to the political argument, right? Because if you are government, you don't really want to be hitting your inflation target because ultimately low interest rates in, uh, can, can, can support growth in the near term, whether that's going to be beneficial in the long term. I guess we'll only be able to judge when, when we're looking back on these uh, years in the, in, in the long term. Well, yeah, I mean, you'd think in terms of uh, no one having any savings, etc., it's not going to potentially look rosy for uh, for a couple of generations. Um, let's move to um, Brexit. So Joe Biden, Democrat presidential nominee, has been the latest uh, US politician coming out saying that a trade deal isn't going to happen if the UK runs uh, roughshod over the uh, withdrawal agreement with the EU. This is all to do with the um, land border on the island of Ireland between Northern Ireland and Ireland. Um, there is obviously an open question as to why 
um, the land border is vital in terms of the uh, Good Friday agreements, but the border with between Great Britain and um, the island of Ireland is not. It seems like both sides only targets one of those borders when it suits them. But the question I, st- I think remains is whether this is actually going to impact on anything the Prime Minister does. It's a, it's a morning of tough questions, I guess. It, it's <laughs> I really, try. It's, re- <laughs> it's really difficult to say because... Ultimately, you have to ask the question of what the Prime Minister's real motivation is behind all of this. He made an interesting comment yesterday when he suggested that perhaps that he has misinterpreted what the EU's um, objective is and perhaps over the course of the next month or two that they can convince him that his interpretation of what they're trying to achieve in these negotiations is wrong, which means the Internal Markets Bill in this very specific area that effectively breaks international law uh, is necessary. That seems to me that that was the Prime Minister's way of saying, come and change my mind. And if that's what he's effectively doing, and this is, a negotiation tactic, which is what has been uh, levied uh, at him uh, over the course of the last week or two, then I'm, I'm not entirely sure if it's going to be particularly successful. But who knows? Again, these are negotiations and these are yeah, two so extremely the, tough so negotiators. The, so the suggestion with the internal markets bill as it relates to Brexit was that um, those um, aspects relating to uh, Northern Ireland uh, checks between um, East and West as in uh, Great Britain to uh, Northern Ireland, were uh, in some ways political cover for changes in terms of the state aid regime. This is something that um, this government has returned to continually, the the option to get involved in markets, particularly in the tech sector. And yet we still don't really know what the end game is here. No, we don't. Uh, but I think we have to remember that we're not really used to be having this massive involvement in the nitty-gritty of trade negotiations. It feels like this is very much a a, a Brexit-only issue, and it seems to be Brexit has made people uh, take a far greater interest in things that in the past you would never have taken an interest in when the EU was negotiating a trade deal with Canada or Japan. Who knows what the nitty-gritty parts of those trade deals were? And, uh, uh, I mean, I would, what, I would remind you, I would remind you of all the battles relating to um, uh, arbitration uh, clauses back when Canada, um, U- EU, was being uh, fought. If you remember, the, it was, I believe, Wallonia that um, put, that stymied that deal. You know, th- there were still battles going on in the in the press and in the um, uh, in the media. I, I hesitate. I'm sorry, I've interrupted you, but I do think this idea that we ignored trade deals prior to Brexit is perhaps a little overwrought. That's a very good point, and that's a very good example of where the the trade deals do get more public attention. But I think I think on a broader scale, the vast majority of people were never taking that great an interest as far as many of these trade deals were concerned. I don't really remember any. Uh, discussions uh, that people are having about around various trade deals that have been negotiated for quite some period of time, mm. but it does seem to be very much a kind of symptom of, well, this is what Brexit was about. Brexit was about one of the reasons uh, was about striking trade deals with the rest of the world, so it has made people take a lot more interest. Um, and and it, it, again, it just, just seems to be a kind of uh, symptom of all that. Mm. Ultimately, it's uh, not necessarily a bad thing, I suppose, if uh, people have more interest and more awareness of what their governments are doing. Um, Craig, before I I let you go. We've got the Bank of England uh, today. Are you expecting any surprises at noon? 
I don't think we're expecting surprises per se. I don't think we're expecting any easing today, but the Bank of England did increase its uh, its quantitative easing programme uh, a few months ago, and effectively that ties it over to the end of the year, and more stimulus is ultimately going to be necessary. So I think we are probably going to see them lay the groundwork for another increase in its uh, bond-buying programme um, later on this year, but I don't think that's going to come as too great a surprise. I think that's something that's pretty much baked into the markets. They may just hold off until a little later in the year to actually implement it in terms of what size of purchase is going to be necessary because obviously there's a very big difference between a Brexit that contains a deal and a Brexit that contains no deal uh, in terms of what the monetary policy response is going to be. So I I expect they're going to lay the groundwork for some easing, but to what degree uh, of easing, uh, I think we'll have to wait and see on that one. Craig Earlham, Senior Market Analyst at Oanda. Thank you very much indeed for your time. The Business Breakfast on Jazz FM with Oanda. Online trading, currency data, money transfers. 